Easter Jason. <laughs> um, all right, so um, we've been studying through the book of Exodus for Lent this year. As you know, Exodus, it's a story of Israel's deliverance. It's a story of Israel's deliverance from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. On Good Friday, we looked at the story of Israel's crossing of the Red Sea. Um, and and what, what we've seen as like the final step in their story of liberation. And on the seashore in the morning after they had this, this incredibly uh, stressful and tumultuous night, Moses then sings a song that we see in Exodus chapter 15. You can, you can turn there, Exodus chapter 15. He says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, or, or, or the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The Lord Jehovah is a warrior. Jehovah is his name. Uh, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like, like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. That's now my life verse. I love that. God, you sneezed and the waters piled up. The, the flood stood up in a heap. The, deep, uh, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. That's, that's what evil says. But, but Lord, you, you blew your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to the holy abode. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seen the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom, dismayed, trembling, seizes the, the leaders of Moab. Like These are the, the areas around. Um, all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain. Think about the Sermon on the Mount there. 
The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. See, that story is of vital importance to understanding who Israel was and is. It, it, it defines them. Even today, if you were to attend a, a Jewish Seder, the people around the table, they would talk about the Exodus as if it happened to them. They would say, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God brought us out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. It is also of vital importance to us today and fitting that we would look at that passage today of all days. On this Resurrection Sunday, we read these words, not just remembering what God did for Israel after he led them through the Red Sea. We read them as words remembering the victory over the final boss, the last enemy, the enemy that needed to be defeated uh, ultimately, which is death. In Christ's resurrection, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, like Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In Christ's resurrection, we can finally say, we can say finally, we can say completely that the Lord will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. During this series, we've talked about the principle of remembering, right? In the, we've talked about how in, that, in the biblical sense, remembering is more than just recalling. When you recall something, you can bring something to mind that happened earlier. I, I remember my first concert. It was the Rolling Stones, by the way. I remember my first kiss. I won't tell you who that was. But to remember something in the biblical sense, it would be to make something that happened in the past present and active in the now. For those of us that are married, we might, or probably don't, we might recall the specific marital vows that we took on the day of our wedding. But, but every day we can remember our wedding vows as we live into our marriages every day. As a pastor, I, I remember the day where, where I kneeled on this very spot and felt other pastors lay hands on me during my ordination. I, I don't recall the particular words that were uttered. I, I, I could probably look them up, but, but I remember the importance of that moment every day I do the work uh, as your pastor. So there is a crucial biblical principle that sees the covenant faithfulness of our God in the past as something that, that also has made, been made manifest in the present, in the here and the now. I, I hope you took Julie's words a few weeks ago or last week uh, seriously when she challenged us to consider our own testimonies, um, the, the testimony of faith that we have, and, and actually mark down, actually write down the difference between our lives before Christ and our lives now. The thing is, though, in the New Testament especially, we also see that principle 
in the other direction. The Gospel of Mark reports Jesus saying these, these words early in the story. Uh, this is in, in the beginning of chapter Mark, of the beginning of uh, the Gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. If you were going to, to memorize a verse in the, in, the, in, the, in the season after Easter, that might be a good one for you. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's got it all. Time, fulfillment, kingdom, God, repentance, belief, and the gospel. This might just be my like desert island verse. The thing was and is, the concept that the kingdom is at hand might be a hard pill to swallow for someone living under the impressive rule of the Roman Empire. Just like it might be a hard pill to swallow for someone living under the oppressive rule of a global pandemic. We can look out the window and see that it doesn't often seem like the kingdom is at hand. I mean, was Jesus just speaking figuratively? Was he talking about something that still hasn't really happened yet? No, the time was fulfilled. And God was acting then and now in the Christ event. The gospel, the good news was that God was doing a work of salvation in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Christians believe that Jesus was and is God's Messiah, the Anointed One, the King, who has announced that God's kingdom has arrived with Him. Jesus lived this, this simple but miraculous life in which He attracted disciples who learned the message of His kingdom and then participated in that proclamation to others. Then, Jesus paid the price of humanity's sin by going to the cross and dying a sinner's death on our behalf. With Jesus' sacrificial death, our sin was atoned for, and humanity could once again be in union with our holy God. See, the reason why we gather this morning, virtually, or the reason we gather any Sunday morning for that matter, um, is that um, the thing was, Jesus didn't stay dead. Now, for, for those of you who haven't taken biology in a while, this is out of the ordinary. Usually, when someone dies, they stay dead. This wasn't a principle that, that has come up in recent years. Even people in the ancient world, even people in Jesus' day, knew that people, when they're dead, they tend to stay dead. You see, the reason why the New Testament was written was because of the event of Jesus' resurrection. Some might say that the, that, that the New Testament was written in order to create a religion or to subvert the Roman Empire. And those two things did end up being consequences of the New Testament, but they aren't the reason why it was written. If those were the reasons why the New Testament were written, the writers were certainly playing the long game. Christianity did eventually catch on like wildfire. But the first followers of Jesus, the, the ones who wrote the New Testament, they lived lives of martyrdom at the hands of the empire. I mean, think about that. 
They died at the hands of the empire, believing uh, that the kingdom of God was at hand, that the kingdom of heaven was, was within their grasp. They believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that God's new creation had begun. They also believed that, that Jesus had ascended to the throne and that even though it seemed like the empires of this world are in charge, the reality is that they were first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which had a very real and very resurrected king. The martyrs died believing that something better was coming. But the time to start living like that was in the here and the now. The Apostle Paul, you can, you can turn to, to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, beginning in uh, verse 18. Very important chapter. For I consider, says Paul, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself, in hope that the creation itself, in hope that the, that the real world will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom the freedom, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, we, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wake eagerly as the, for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, says Paul. For who hopes for what he sees? But, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Funny, tradition has it that Paul was decapitated at the order of the empire about 10 years after he wrote those words. But his hope was for not only the resurrection of his soul at some future time, but his present life then as well. For Paul, Jesus' resurrection wasn't just about a, a personal plan of salvation. It, it was that, to be sure, but, but for Paul, Jesus' resurrection was about cosmic reconciliation to the Creator God. Clearly his words indicate that he believed in a future consummation, a future healing of, of creation like we find at the end of the Bible in, in Revelation 21. But Paul also said that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We live now, the invitation, Christian, is for you to live now in anticipation of the future consummation of all things. We live now like Jesus is already on the throne because he is. 
There's a Christian songwriter for, for kids who, who, who has this song that says, there's a new world a coming and it's already here. There's a new world on its way. There's a new world coming. It's already here. Let's begin to live that way. That, that right there, that is a decent definition of the gospel. This summer, we're going to do a five-week series on the Holy Spirit, the advocate that, that, that empowers the Christian and the church to live out the way of the kingdom. Paul himself even spelled out what that looks like telling us that, that the fruit of the Spirit is, uh, telling us about what the fruit of the Spirit is. Meaning like, how do we know if we're anticipating the kingdom in the right way? I mean, is it just about like not doing naughty things? No, it's not just about not doing those things so that we don't tick off God. No, the, the life of anticipation to, to new creation it's about love. It's about joy. It's about peace and patience. It, it is about kindness. It is about goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and it's about living a life of self-control. Paul said, against those things, there is no law. We've called this, this current series, we've called it an inheritance of freedom. On Good Friday, we said that, that the freedom we inherit is, is a freedom to love others sacrificially. That's what it looks like to model the cross in, in our mission. And I'm sorry to say that, that the most intense moments of sacrificial love have looked historically like martyrdom. But I am happy to report that more commonly, it's about living out the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' resurrection power, you have inherited the freedom to love. In, in Jesus' resurrection power, you have inherited the freedom to rejoice, to be happy, to be, to be filled with joy. In Jesus' resurrection power, you, you have inherited the freedom. You can be as kind as you want. You have permission by the Holy Spirit of God to be as kind to other human beings as you can possibly imagine. You have inherited the freedom to, to be gentle, to have a, a reserved strength about you. You have inherited the freedom to exercise self-control. The kingdoms of this world, they are going to tell you that if you practice those things too much, the world will take advantage of you. The world will hurt you. The world will bring you pain and trial and suffering and, and don't let them get any more than, than's coming to them, you know? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, I mean, get this, this is great. The kingdom of God is gonna tell you that, that you have inherited, <coughs> inherited the audacious freedom to spread the love of Jesus Christ with reckless abandon. You can just go out there and throw that seed. You have the freedom, you have inherited the freedom to live life as a, as a real human being where you go out and you spread the love, joy, and peace of Jesus Christ with absolute reckless abandon. So, church, in these days of confused situations, 
in this night of restless remorse, when the heart and the soul of a nation lay wounded and cold as a corpse, from the grave of the innocent Adam comes a song bringing joy to the sad. Your cry has been heard and the ransom has been paid up in full. Be ye glad. Happy Easter, everybody. Amen.